right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, I have with me, with me Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. We have a return guest. Our first guest is now our second guest. And it's because she did so well, we brought her back. It's not because only she's the guest. only one that wants <laughs> yes. to go watch our podcast. Our guest. <laughs> uh, but we have Christina Chu back, uh, registered dietitian in Chicago. Yes, sir. That's me. No, that is you. So today we thought it'd be a fantastic idea to kind of bring like a roundtable discussion. So we're bringing in a, a made up hypothetical situation of an athlete. And with that, we have healthcare being me, strength and conditioning being Alex, and then the dietetics being Christina. And we're going to work through how we would manage this athletes, uh, what it's going to be the beginning of camp all the way through getting to the fight and competing. So for this situation, before I kick it off to Alex to start up the SNC, we have a male featherweight fighter who's 25. Okay. So he's younger. He just got into the UFC. And then in his UFC debut, he missed weight by one pound. So not by, yeah, I I know. And the UFC even gave him a second chance. They must like the kid a lot because he didn't get cut. Right. (laughs) And he got brought back. He's going into his second fight. We're starting up an eight week camp. The other thing. So he is 5'10". So average height for featherweight. And then he walks around right around, say, 170, 172-ish. No? 167. 167. Eh, 72, 67. It's close enough. You're just, th- <laughs> you're just throwing off all of Christina's calculations. Yeah, seriously. Me and my Excel sheet is like She's exploding. She's over, <laughs> over there with the calculator, recalculating. Got to redo everything. Uh, my TI-84 cannot handle this. <laughs> but it's a plus, so it can. Yeah, Maybe. that's true. <laughs> so 167 pounds. Uh, from the healthcare side of things, they have a straighter mid-back, so a straighter or a less kyphotic curve. So that's going to leave them prone to less thoracic mobility. As a fighter, they're a striker. So they come from that striking background. They're heavy in the stand-up, and that's going to be the predominance of their fighting style. Um, and they also are prone to stingers. So with a stinger, we all know the pain, it's like an electric or a burning pain going from the neck down. On the S&C side, they're a fairly newcomer to the strength conditioning world. So they haven't done a whole bunch of training in the past. Um, and you kind of, you get to leave your mark. Are you going to be the person that sets them up for success or for failure? That's on you, Alex. Thanks. That's <laughs> not a lot of pressure at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the context behind this is um, spotty. And it, as always, you just do your best with what you have and what you know. Um, so being new to SNC. And uh, new to us as a building fighter, new to me as a, as a coach, I'm going to kind of err on the side of caution and always do our um, pre-camp assessments or we're eight weeks out. So we have time for assessments and reassessments as we go through camp. It's going to give me a better picture of where he's at metabolically, where um, he's at energy system wise, where he's at strength wise. Uh, eight weeks doesn't give us a lot of time to develop new strengths, but we do have a lot of time to develop in the first four to five, six weeks, and then peak for the last um, few weeks before our weight cut. So what I would do again is get an assessment, get an idea of where this athlete's at. If he's a striker and he's got that background, he's probably pretty um, explosive, pretty creatine phosphate based. So we'll say that his alactic tests are, are kind of are good, are satisfactory. And then we'll say his, um, well, I guess we can say his aerobics are down a little bit. We won't say that they're out the window because he's 145 pound fighter. So he's probably maintain a pretty good pace, but 
that would be a specific area that we could work on is being able to maintain a higher pace throughout the fight. Um, like I said, power is good. We can work on a little bit of strength and strength endurance in the beginning of camp. And then as we get towards the end of camp, we're, we're going to start to peak uh, for those power and build up our strengths. So right off the bat, like I said, assessments, he's pretty powerful, needs a little bit more endurance. Um, and we can touch on that through training. He's going to get a lot of that in camp through his skill work and his uh, specific practices. So the best I'm going to do is, is touch on that with a session or two a week, working on either aerobic threshold training, which is four to five minutes at the highest aerobic pace, which is going to enable him to um, recover in between high intense bouts quicker. So that's why I would do that threshold training earlier in camp. Later on, we have to transition into a more of a tactical and specific type of conditioning or type of training. So it would depend on his tactical approach to the fight, whether he wants to stand and bang and strike, or if he's fighting a grappler and work on a takedown defense the whole time. Um, it would just depend as we get further into camp, we get more specific. I don't think that's a secret anywhere. So um, skill work will get more specific. Conditioning will get more specific to the fight. Um, and then the other biggest consideration is just like I said, balancing out his strength and conditioning program to where he has a really good first experience with strength and conditioning in a fight camp. And it's balanced with his skill work and his tactical preparation, because I don't want to throw the book at him on strength and conditioning and try and develop um, everything that I see, I want to maximize his gains and give him a good foundation of athletic performance and strength and conditioning going forward into his fighting career. So that that's not a burnt bridge. And um, it's not the old boxing mentality that bench pressing will make you, your punches slow. So how many days a week? So I think, I think you said one to two for a specific or aerobic threshold work, but how many days a week would you put them in right away? So, and does that change throughout the eight week process? Do you drop or add when you get to four weeks? Yeah. And it depends on the, the athlete in front of me, right? If he's, if he's gung ho and ready to go, I would love to start three days a week and at least the first month to six weeks of camp. Um, and then we can taper down to two times a week when we get to those more specific phases, because the emphasis is going to change from general preparation to more specific preparation, but three weeks in the beginning camp is, is ideal for me because that gives me time to ample time to focus and develop what I need to rather than just maximize what's already there. And then, so in a similar situation, let's say according on the dietetic side, right? Yeah. So he he's dropping fairly steadily at the beginning, but he hits a plateau right around three weeks in. So for whatever reason he can't. So he started at one sixty-seven. we said, yes. yeah. Exactly. Somebody nod. Yes. Fact okay, check, cool. Yes. So let's say three weeks in, he's dropped about four, four to five, right? But then he's got stuck at that four to five. Christina, what would you look at outside of you doing your regular assessments? What would you look at or what would you try to convey to mystery fighter A on, hey, I hit this plateau. I'm extremely disappointed or frustrated with what's going on. How do, how do I get past that? And what are the steps to get past? That? Yeah, I get stuck with the initial troubleshooting. I don't even get to lay down the foundation. Do I Austin? <laughs> no, I, that's, that's why I, I say you're skipping a little bit. You're skipping a little bit, but yeah, we're just going to skip the whole foundation and just do the cool stuff at the top. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just messing. I'm just, he just messing. Doesn't, he doesn't want you to do a boring monologue like I did. Yeah. So 
No, that wasn't boring at all. Um, so I think if someone has a plateau, I would probably consider first um, some other lifestyle things as well, too. Um, I'd probably want to get them uh, basal metabolic resting resting metabolic rate or a basal metabolic rate test to see if that has made a significant decline um, or maybe has it not made any change or has it gone up? What's the trend on that? Um, simply because that can contribute a lot to your calorie expenditure. So the calories that come out of your body for basically just being alive. Um, if that has had a significant decrease, okay, like how do we tackle that? Are you overtraining? Um, I know we said that we didn't really want to talk about the female athlete triad, but unfortunately red has made a comeback <laughs> austin is screaming <laughs> yes. Yes. i but just don't we, want to rant i rant enough on here okay we're gonna put him on, on mute and we're gonna let me talk All right. but All right. <laughs> i don't have those privileges here unfortunately but really though we have to consider that are they overtraining, under fueling and is that consider is that putting them at an energy deficit which is actually allowing them to not lose any weight so it may seem kind of counterintuitive yes Quickly, Christine, can you Sorry. define REDS and, and give us the, the acronym and, and everything in, in yes. a short blip? In a long blip. Got it. So red <laughs> stands for Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports. Some people call it red S. I call it REDS. That's how I was taught, but I guess it like varies wherever you are in the country. So anyways, um, those two are basically synonymous. It's the new school version of the female athlete triad. So if anyone's ever heard of the female athlete triad, it basically encompasses more um, bodily systems as well as males because this happens to males as well too. Yep. And so basically what REDS is, is um, a way to, I guess, like tang tangify um, what it's like to be in an energy deficiency. Like I said, overtraining, over expenditure, under fueling, under eating, lower calories, or a mixture of both. Um, yep. Both can happen as well too. And if an athlete um, or an individual is put there at a long period of time, they have all of these detriments from all of their body systems, from their digestive system, from their immune health, which is especially huge during COVID, um, their reproductive health. I mean, you tell a guy they're going to have low libido, like they're going to step right on that. Um, from your like literally every system cardiovascular the whole works yeah. and then on the other side you also have some more of those sport performance um, detriments as well too especially when talking to an athlete they don't really give a shit if their bone health is going to decline in the next 20 years but what they care about is i'm not going to have um as uh, effective of a reaction time. I'm going to be prone yeah. to injury. I'm going to, um, you know, have longer recoveries, things like that, yeah. and ability to sleep, poor psyche. Um, so all of those stuff really tailors towards the athlete. So REDS kind of covers both ends. No, I think it's great. Let's go. <laughs> a, a, I don't even a, know what I was talking about. Um, we're talking about when our, our athlete, our hypothetical athlete from the case study who I have since named Casey, um, Casey, I like. I got a lot of Casey's. Punny. I like this guy. Casey's punny. like a dog's name. No, Sorry. No, Sorry to okay. all the Casey's out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, again, let's say he's hit a plateau and he's frustrated at, at three weeks in or whatever, and uh, the weight is not steadily declining um, per. I assume the plan that he's got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I would see if I can get some testing, um, you know, if he's comfortable with that, etc. 
with his basal metabolic rate um, and kind of see where that's going. I would also just want to see if he's well hydrated or in most cases for fighters over hydrated. Um, a lot of combat athletes tend to think I'm going to drink two gallons of water a day and not have any sodium. Um, and that doesn't really help with your hydration. So over hydration and under hydration tend to have the same symptoms. And so yeah. hydration is something that I would look at too, if they're not able to, you know, yeah. steadily lose that weight. Um, and then if, you know, kind of probing from the nutrition side, if I can't really put a pinpoint to it, or they're really, you know, pushing back, if Casey is really pushing back, um, I would probably then start to have that conversation um, with strength conditioning and say, hey, is there potentially anything in their, you know, um, their training program? Is it like, all hypertrophy, all muscular right. growth, right? And like maybe maybe that coach didn't know or something. Um, and so I would just have that open conversation to make sure that we're on the same page. Oh, yeah, and I think that's a beneficial conversation to make because I know at the end of our workouts or something, I can I can have him do more type of steady state activity if the weight's not coming off or if there, there's some other type of imbalance. Um, we can facilitate that in a healthier way. And I'm sure a less stress inducing way than him repetitively getting on the scale and saying, I'm not hitting my numbers. I'm not on track. I, I got to start doing things how I used to do them, or I got to jump off this boat. Right. So giving some type of trust and facilitation for that across disciplines is kind of the whole point, right? Yeah. And stress and sleep can do a huge number on that too. Like yeah. when you're stressed out, the last thing your body wants to do is lose weight because weight is essential. And so if you're stressed, whether it be psychological stress, physical stress, um, et cetera, your body reacts to it the same way as if we were cavemen, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, and it's just that need for survival. So your body can have um, like is more likely to hold on to weight. So it's just it's hard to know, obviously, without having this person in front of me. But those are those are the things that goes through my head. Right. And then stressed out, not sleeping, calorie deficit. Um, you can't help for disaster. <laughs> yeah. You can't help, but think performance <laughs> is going down and injuries are going to happen. Austin. Yes, they do. But before we jump to me, I rudely skipped over Christina's foundations. Tell me, please. <laughs> Who me? He never <laughs> please does circle this for me. The one and only yeah. guest of this show. Say, he never does <laughs> exactly. this for me. So, <laughs> uh, what, uh, in all honesty, what are some of the baseline tests that you get done? What are some of the baseline assessments? What, what I know you do a consultation, which is different mm -hmm. than a lot of quote unquote nutritionists, which is funny. <laughs> you want to hear my uh, rant? <laughs> yeah, we'll stay away from that topic. <laughs> but I, I know you have a, you have an awesome process that you go through. So go through that process a little. Thank you. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, for me, and I talked about this a little bit in the last episode, go check that out at buildingafighter.com. Mm -hmm. Is that yes. your website? <laughs> we do have a website now. Yes. Yeah, it actually oh. just launched. As oh. of today. We are live. <laughs> you guys, that was not a shameless plug. I actually did not know that. I'm plug, psychic. Plug nonetheless. Let's go. Plug nonetheless. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon. Okay. I'm done. Um, yes. But do that. Yes. So guys, let's focus. <laughs> um, so obviously I want to, you know, partner with this athlete and, you know, I never like to think about it. Like I'm the dictator and you are my lesser, like it's really a working relationship. So in an ideal world, someone would get all these testings done, but obviously if they're in a financial constraint or they just don't want to do it, I'm not going to force anyone to do anything. Um, 
if they were to get tests done, I would ideally want them to have their, as I said, their basal metabolic rate test. Um, and that's usually done through a BIA and that um, like in body is a really common one. And so that also tests your body fat percent, which I would want as well too, just from a health and safety aspect to see how much you can cut down without um, moving into that dangerous low body fat territory. <laughs> what are you doing, Alex? I have to <laughs> plug in my charger. I just I, see this big like caveman going like this with I, like. <laughs> I, I apologize for the distraction. It's okay. Um, probably shouldn't look. So um, anyways, yeah. So that that's the testing I would do. Um, on occasion, I would probably have them do like blood panel testing, but sometimes it's just not necessary. And those can be kind of expensive, especially without insurance. So it's like, it's really a case per case. But anyways, so after gathering some information from their intake process that I have everyone do, if they can't fill out a form for 10 to 15 minutes, I'm sorry, but they can't work with me. Like that's something that just <laughs> needs to be done um, from more of a discipline standpoint. And I do have people who don't do them and then I never see them ever again. Yeah. Well, and it's so, a commitment thing. It's yeah. A, yeah. It's a read the instructions kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Simple, simple. Um, you, so you would have been one of those teachers. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. We are running a tight ship here. Kids <laughs> learn cursive. Um, Anyways, so that would help me gather some baseline information as to what weight class they're in, current height, weight, et cetera, um, as well as any past like diet history stuff, any medications are on, supplements, any symptoms that I should be aware of. Like if there's any tightness, my concern is hydration. If they're saying I feel fatigued all the time, energy, if they're like I'm pooping my pants all the time, I'm like, all right, let's walk through some digestive things. So just to kind of get an overall um, understanding of where they're at as a human body. Um, then I'll kind of walk through what their training style looks like. Um, so I can kind of get a gauge as to how active they are, as well as any diets that they've tried in the past. If someone has checked off, they've tried keto, low carb, high carb, paleo, vegetarian, juice cleanse, intermittent fasting, all of these other things. I know that they probably get that information from elsewhere. And I have a lot of uh, voices to, to battle with, right? I'm yeah. not their first nutrition voice. And so that's always something to keep in mind, who they live with, who cooks their food, how often do they cook, you know, all of these things, you know, we forget about it, but it plays a huge role. And so I also like to get their learning style. So most fighters will say, I want that structure. I want that person to kind of um, hone my ass down a little bit. But some people are um, more on the general side are like, I just need a friend to talk to. And you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go cry. That's so sweet. Yeah. Um, so after they fill out that intake form, I kind of do some numbers on my own. If they don't do their um, resting metabolic rate, I can calculate that through just this generic formula as well as their activity factor. It's pretty standard utilizing METS, and I have no idea what METS stands for. I'm so sorry, but it's like a standard exercise physiology calculation that literally no one needs to know. Um, but me. So from there, um, I'll calculate basically what their maintenance calorie needs are. And it's likely that this person is not maintaining whatever weight they're at, given the population of combat athletes. So I like to draft out doing Alex. I'm sorry. I'll stop. (laughs) He's, he's making a graph going up and down. I got you, Alex, but that thanks. I'm glad this isn't on video or maybe it should be on video. So people have proof of me being like, why is she so confused? Uh, Just, just this one. Just this one. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of chart out what their weight pattern should look like. So for Mr. Casey, given that we're about eight weeks out and that um, 
it's estimated for him to be around 5% above his body weight, generally 5 to 6% above his body weight during the start of fight week. Most fighters know their body pretty well and they say, oh, I know I'm about this percent over or what have you. So I'll take that into consideration. But let's say Casey doesn't know a single thing about his body. All right, let's just do 5% the week before. Just keep backtracking that math. Does that make sense? My Excel sheet does it all for me, um, but he needs to lose about two pounds a week. So then I'll take whatever his maintenance calories are, decrease the calories for um, calories per pound of body fat, multiply that by two, subtract, um, and then calculate. That's like his basic training day needs. Yeah. Is that going to change per day? Absolutely. Everyone's calories needs are different every single day, um, but it's a good start starting point. And, um, you know, it's calories. Yes, are so important, but the measurement of how we get calories can be very inaccurate. So I like to give them some weight, but definitely not make them the rule. From there, I'll calculate sort of your basic um, uh, macronutrient needs. Uh, and then I'll put that into what I call a meal template. And so in the meal template, I devise uh, basic food groups that pretty much everyone eats your carbs, your protein, your vegetables, your fruit, and your fat. And utilizing this from whatever Casey has told me that his normal eating pattern is, let's say it's three meals, I'll create something where it's like you'll have two servings of carbs, two servings of protein, you know, one serving of fruit, one serving of fat. And I'll kind of plug and chug all of this and match it with the calorie and macronutrient needs that I have for him to see what aligns with what he's kind of currently doing with what I want him to have. And then we'll meet somewhere in the middle. So Question. yeah. Before, before you go on. So I know a lot of fighters have their, um, have a meal prep company, right? Mm -hmm. Is that something that you would then can like convey to the meal prep company or is that yeah. something that they would have to do? I, no, I would do it. I, okay. I'm like Alex where we're pretty type A. So I would do it. <laughs> right, because and, who wants to do that themselves? You know, if they're going right, to pay right. someone to do it, you might as well do it for them and ensure that they're going to get it done. So they don't blame you later. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that's an interesting dynamic or, or relationship that, again, I have no idea about is like, if, if you're talking to the meal prep company, do they customize and make the meals how you would want them to? Or do they just say, we got these meals and you have to tell the athlete which ones to eat, blah, blah, blah. It depends. Um, okay. I currently, the place that I work with in Chicago is the latter. So they have their okay. set meals. I could be like, no cheese on this one. Or you yeah. know, could you add an avocado or something like that? But we can make little changes just because we have a close relationship. But um, from my experience, it's just been these are our prescribed meals. Okay. If you're lucky enough to kind of have a personal chef um, there, then then I would kind of give them the more rundowns of like this many cups of rice, this many yeah. cups of, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. Casey gotcha. doesn't have a personal chef. No, 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 not when you blow weight your first fight in the UFC. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> come on, Casey. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be my overall foundation for um, his, uh, like his nutrition and, you know, with all that in consideration, the calorie yeah. deficit that he needs to be in while sustaining life um, yeah. and, and just kind of constantly monitoring him, seeing if he has any digestive issues. Also watching, I didn't even mention this, um, what kind of supplements he's taking. And yeah. if he's in the UFC, he's going to get drug tested. So we need to make sure that those are third party tested. Um, not some like someone in the alley just gave me the supplement. <laughs> I'm going to try it. I think we're a lot of athletes. To the GNC guy. Oh yeah. God, not again. Yeah. He's coming back. Well, he's um, the <laughs> biggest dude in there, right? Got oh, all God. the tattoos. Yeah. He sure knows how to cut weight. So 
I think where a lot of athletes get themselves where they forget is when you have a company reach out to you that says, hey, post this on Instagram, you know, and we'll pay you. And they'll be like, oh, well, I have it. I'm just going to take it. And I'm like, you don't know this company. Um, and I can I can look up this company and see that, you know, um, it's not that reputable. And so I think that's where there's kind of a loophole where we forget that sometimes those social media promotions ne- don't necessarily mean a good thing. Um, and we kind of need to be on their ass about that. I think, well, I think two things that are super important to highlight is how um, specific or how adaptable you are to working with the athlete, right? I think that that gets glanced over, but I think in strength, conditioning, healthcare, nutrition, that's a huge topic to hit on is that like all of this is so customized and, and specified to the person that you're working with. I think that's where again, some fighters miss out or some other athletes don't don't see it for the whole process is like, this is this whole sport preparation and high performance is that much more valuable when it's specific to you. Right. And so I think that's where we get into the weeds a little bit because not every program is like that. Not every program takes in account, does the assessments, does the ground level foundational work that a good practitioner should. So I think that's Super important to highlight off of everything that Christina just said from how much what supplements he specifically is taking to how she interacts with him, what's his food history, like and like I said, his history with strength and conditioning, you know, what is uh what's his fight style, how can I specify to that? And accounting for those assessments. Um, it's super huge to individualize and plan appropriately for the person, not just like an athlete in front of you. Yeah, and to kind of bounce off of that, I think Uh, especially in the beginning where athletes don't make the most use of their time is when something goes wrong, they think they have to fix it themselves versus letting you know, like, Hey, my leg hurts during our workout or something, then you can, then you know how to adjust to that versus them kind of being scared to tell you that because that indicates a sign of weakness. I don't give a shit. Like I, I'm terrified of you. I don't, I know that you're strong. Like, don't worry about (laughs) it, but like, let me help you. You know, it doesn't help anyone at all when you just kind of keep to yourself or you want to maintain that like macho front. Like, honestly, that helps no one. And it makes my eyes roll because I, I think it takes a lot more to be self-aware and to be like, I'm paying this person to help me, I'm going to utilize them 110%. When people are like, I'm so sorry, I'm texting you all the time. I'm like, I'd rather you over communicate than under communicate. There's not too much you can share with me. Like, tell me about your poops. I want to know. (laughs) I don't know know that we'll ever get there, Christina, but okay. No? Okay. (laughs) We won't talk about it, but I hope that you had nice soft logs today. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Healthcare. Yeah. How how important is, yeah, communication with healthcare? (laughs) No, it's super important. Exactly what Christina said is, is literally my life. It's trying to explain to athletes that, Hey, you feeling tight, you being in pain, you having a stinger, all these different things. That's not a sign of weakness by any way, shape or form, right? All of these athletes, they, they, they got to get past the point where it's a no pain, no cane situation. Um, and for me in particular, It's just trying to be as close to the athlete as possible, trying to talk to them. Actually, I think at this point in time, the most recent episode is treating an athlete like a human, getting to know them on the human level so that they trust you. That was the one I listened to. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. It was a good one, I thought. I I listened to it when I was doing the the editing, but yeah. So (laughs) yeah, right? It's a good thing I listened when I edit. Um, 
<laughs> but when we're doing that, when I'm trying to talk to these athletes and trying to like focus on them being a human, it's, that's going to give me that trust. That's going to allow me to then build that relationship that when they are hurt, say they are going for more runs because they're cutting weight, they're doing their, their fat burning runs and keeping their heart rate down. They might have some sort of shin splints that pop up quote unquote shin splints. And maybe they tell, they finally tell me, Hey, their shins are hurting. And that's why they're not throwing leg kicks. And it's been like that for five sparring sessions in a row. They haven't thrown a leg kick. They won't tell the coaches that they're hurt, but they finally just trusted to tell me. And moments like that are some of the best points of my entire career. Cause I'm like, Oh shit. Like these athletes actually care about this stuff. There's something clicked, something finally clicked that they, they want to get better. And so for this athlete right here with Casey, uh, he has stiffness in his back, but it's not a mobility. It is a mobility deficit, but it's a structural deficit. So if he has an uprighting of that mid back, that T spine, the thoracic spine, I can't fix that no matter what I do. I'm not adjusting that away. I'm not going to give him a whole bunch of spinal cars that are going to fix the structural deformity of the spine. But what I can do is I can make him as mobile as possible for the spine that he has. So for Casey, when, when we talk about like a spinal car, so that's just a range of motion exercise to try to get as much motion into a specific or a global area as possible. For a striker like Casey or for this athlete, what I want to do at the beginning of everything is a baseline assessment of their active range of motion. So checking every joint through the body active. And then I'm also going to move the ones that I, I believe for MMA athletes matter the most, where I'm going to passively check all the ranges of motion of the shoulder, of the hip, and of the ankle. And when I do that, all I want to see is, is there a big discrepancy from the active range of motion, a what their brain can tell their body to do, or a passive range of motion of, hey, I'm going to push your joint to the end range as best I can. And if there's a large discrepancy, and for this athlete, for Casey, for the most part, there's going to be a discrepancy in their, their mobility. And we'll talk about going into the shoulder. So if you have a history of stingers, typically that area is going to be tighter, which means I can passively move him through the full range, but actively he can only go about two thirds of the way in whatever range of motion. So that's something I need to note down on my own. I write it down in this chart note, and then I know that, and then I can convey that to Alex as the strength coach, because he also needs to know that if I'm, if I don't tell him that, Hey, this is a mobility deficit, not a structural deficit. So like say the difference between like a labral tear or a stinger, and I can't convey that to the strength coach, they might be trying to mobilize tissue. That's actually a tear. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so, and then doing more harm than good. Exactly. So that's where that communication we've talked about where everybody being on the same page, that's where it's so important. And that's why, and the only reason I even found that is from bringing it full circle to my baseline assessment of that active versus passive range of motion. Then after I do actives and passives, I run them through just a general movement screen because it's our podcast. I do the building a fighter podcast or the building a fighter movement screen. Honestly, it, it, it does a good job for MMA athletes checking all the big global movement patterns. Um, and on this, on this test, we'll say that their sideline shoulder sweep, which is one of the assessments for shoulder and spine mobility is kind of clunky on both sides. So that's good. There's not a disparity side to side, um, as well as when we put them in a low bear, there's major scapular wind. So what that means is the shoulder blade comes off the rib cage and it's a decreased stability state for the shoulder. So it's potential for injury and it's only on the side that he's getting stingers. We'll add that in. So just on the right side that he's getting the stingers down, he's got major scapular, wind, which also happens to be his power puncher hand. He's a, he's a orthodox fighter. So when he throws his cross, 
every single time he throws his cross, his scapula wings lifts off the rib cage and decentrates or destabilizes the shoulder. So once I do my, my entire assessment, those are the only two things that pop. And we have a global picture of this athlete and of how this athlete not only functions just sitting there regularly, but also functions as a part of their global movement patterns and how they move as a, as a human and as an athlete. Well, I want to stop you right there because it's just me listening to that right there helps me so much on my hypothetical program in my head. And I just want like any strength and conditioning or sports performance coach listening out there. Like when's the last time you had a physical therapist, AT chiropractor talk to you like this about an athlete's movement? Like that should be commonplace. I know Austin does the healthcare and the strength and conditioning at one. So he's, he doesn't necessarily have to relate to every strength coach. I but, talk to myself in my head. I was going to say he is his own team. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. much. But it's like, like, go team. <laughs> but like, how valuable is that to know as a coach? Like if, if I'm, I'm creating this program and that just gave me such a big picture of what I need to work on in my program in collaboration with what Austin's rehabbing and then doing specifically in his program. Yeah. And then to take it, to take it even a step further. So just to give you a window inside my head. So for this athlete, before every athlete comes into my clinic and hopefully for every healthcare clinic in the first place, they write a assessment or they write their own like intake forms on their previous injury history. So that's how I knew about this person's like lesser kyphotic curve. And that's how I know about the history of shoulder stingers. As soon as I see a history of shoulder stingers, I immediately go down the rabbit hole of, Hey, is it a actual stinger? So a neurodynamic issue. So that the nerves aren't moving or gliding or tensioning the ways that they should. So any sort of threat to the area feels like tension or like a burning sensation, or is it a disc issue? So is it actually at the spine versus further down the chain or is it both? Cause athletes are allowed to have both. But then as soon as I see that on their previous injury history, I want to make sure it's not a thing. Now for this athlete we have here with Casey, it is a thing. So I run through neurodynamic testing. So all that's going to do is I'm going to try to tension the nerves of the up of the arm, the three major ones, ulnar, median, and radial. I'm going to tension all of those different nerves and see, hey, can I get to full range of motion when I'm at full tension? If say the median nerve is when you straighten out your arm, I'm doing it on camera, but nobody can see me. So you straighten out your arm. You. I want to see it. You extend your elbow and then your palm is going to open up to the sky. So it's almost like you're carrying a dinner plate. So you're going to be supinated down and then you drop your shoulder blade. And if you feel like pins and needles in your elbow or in your hand, that's a sign of neural tension. Another sign of neural tension when I passively do it is if you can't get to full elbow lockout, if you can't get to full extension of the elbow, that's a neural tension issue. And then the final stage of, of this median nerve test that I want to check is if I lean my head away, so away from that side, so I have the straighten out, if I lean my head to the right, because my left arm's out, does that make numbness, tingling, weakness, or any sort of symptoms in the arm that are similar to what they've felt in the past? If any of those things are a yes, then I know neurodynamic tension is a part of something that we should be working on in the clinic. And again, that I should convey to Alex. Because I can add in before and their skill coaches as well as well. So part of their warm-up would be a neurodynamic, whether it be depending on the stage or if there's any pain, whatever it may be, it could be a tensioner. So I'm tensioning the nerve and trying to stretch it, which people don't realize that happens, but that could also desensitize or decrease pain. Or am I going to slide it? So is it a sliding issue where the nerve isn't moving as well as it should? Cause pe like the nerves move just like muscles do. They slide back and forth in the body. Can I, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you again. You're good. Um, 
I think that that's important to relate to the layman too, or to the athletes that are listening. Like a lot of the times we get taught in school and the nervous system is the nervous system and the muscular system is the muscular system, right? You have nerves throughout your body and you have muscles. Like in reality, they're all interwoven together and they move at the same time, right? So we can create, we have nervous tension, which may cause musculoskeletal tension, but there's different ways to affect both of those areas. And we don't need necessarily need to separate them and think of them as two different distinct things because they're so integral and inter like, um, interwoven, I guess. hundred percent. And it's, it's one of those things like everybody looks to warm up muscles, but nobody looks to prep the nervous system outside of just doing fast paced exercises. I do. Well, I know you do. We talk, <laughs> <laughs> but so when, when, if, if say this fighter, it's very common, they have a median nerve tension issue and they come in and that's, that's what their stinger actually was. So boom, we do this different thing. We do the tests. I see that he needs to slide the nerve back and forth. The nerve isn't sliding in a particular area and it's causing pain to that area. I will prescribe what we could consider if you've heard of nerve flossing or a slider, it's a nerve flossing is a general term for what can be specified into sliders, gliders, openers, and tensioners. But I would prescribe a slider and I would then text a video to the strength coach and say, Hey, this athlete needs to do two or three sets of 10 in their warm up before any sort of upper body day. That's how I know that because the only thing that can make muscles tight, or one of the only things that can make muscles tight is nervous ir- irritation. So muscles lock down, muscles get tight because they perceive threat. Because what's a tight muscle do? It limits movement. So exactly. The only thing, the only way that the muscle feel anything though, is the nerve because the nerve relays the message to the brain and then back down. So for them to get the biggest bang for their buck in a striking session or in a strength conditioning session, we can prescribe sliders, which will decrease the perceived threat, thus decreasing muscular tension in the area. And then they can go through their session and it'll get an increased effect because they can actually activate the muscle a little bit better. And, and that's shown on EMG studies from neurodynamics that Michael Shacklock and Butler have done, but they can also go into, and they can get further range of motion if we're doing mobility drills and train their brain, which is kind of cool, bringing it all together, train their brain to realize, Hey, this movement isn't threat. It isn't a threat at all. I had to decrease the tension due to a slider. And now, hey, guess what? I can do a shoulder car and that external rotation doesn't hurt anymore. And all I did that, so my brain recognizes, hey, I did a little bit of a slider, took all the pain away, and now this movement isn't painful. So A, it gets buy-in for rehab, but B, on top of all of that, it increases their range of motion because their brain can recognize a new movement that isn't painful and it's novel. So the stimulus is going to be at a heightened sense. Well, yeah, I mean, what are your two principles of healthcare and strength conditioning reduce the risk of injury and increase performance and like yeah again that in a succinct nutshell is what austin has done or has explained how to do yeah sorry that was a lot but i just this is like this is my day-to-day and i fucking love this shit i get all excited you guys you guys can't see me but i'm like smiling and shit (laughs) austin is very much more animated when he's talking yeah but i'm just very focused i'm like trying to understand all of the words that you're saying and i'm doing all the motions with you (laughs) that's good I like it. It, it. I see you doing it. I'm like, oh, I explained that right. I think no. I'm doing it. I think I'm I'm putting soup in the thing. You are, yeah. And then you lean away. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. yeah, you're killing it. Median nerve tensioner. But go. so all of that stuff is my base. If if I'm just doing the healthcare, say I just get to be a doctor, and it's a it's fucking awesome. I get to do that'd one be, job. Yeah. That'd be pretty five relieving. Yeah. Yeah. But if say I just have to do the healthcare, that's my baseline assessment. And then on top of that, I I would 
rub the boo-boo. Like before they leave, I'd decrease tension with needles, uh, adjust all the stuff that athletes and regular people think is going to help them. But then we did all the assessments that we can get the exercises that are actually going to help. It's like giving a kid candy dessert before dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. Yeah. I know. I knew That's that would I knew that would strike a chord. That is a good yeah. lifestyle. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> but I, again, I, I don't know. I like to glue it together and highlight the important points of what I see. But like, it's important to realize that everything that I think we're explaining is beneficial for the practitioners. This is not everything that we're explaining and telling the athletes. Like True. one, I don't think the athletes are interested in in-depth on any of this stuff. Um, some of them are. So then you can kind of explain. And that's when I like it because then I get to talk about my passion, but most athletes are going to zone out as soon as Austin says the central nervous system, right? Cars. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> so you got to guide the athlete and give them the pertinent information that they want and they need, but we don't need to unveil the whole process and make this about us per se. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so the, while this information again is, is geared towards practitioners and is, I think super beneficial for the athletes, um, realize that there's a difference between what, what we're doing with the athletes and how we're communicating, talking to them versus what we're saying on this podcast too. Yep. So I have a, I have a question. I ahead. have an answer. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's too bad that you think like that. <laughs> Because I also think like that, but that's fine. Um, okay. So after hearing kind of everyone's first initial, whatever, their first initial like assessment, if you will, how would you talk to the other practitioners? What are the informations that you would need and what information can you provide them? Whether it's, you know, actually, no, I'm not even going to give an example. Um, yeah. But yeah, how does that, how does that, you guys are both like below and under me. So I'm going to make this little, <laughs> but like, how do you, thank you. Um, yeah. How do you make that connection? Like, what do you guys even talk about between the other two professions? I'll let you start, Alex. We'll go in the same order. There we go. Um, well, first off, I mean, you have to establish rapport, right? You establish rapport with your athletes, you got to establish rapport with your, your network and your um, colleagues. So, a zoom like this, I think it would be super beneficial, especially if it's a high profile, but we can even like also said, just text exercises or, or gain a good picture. Um, when I, I, I can't remember if you were in on some of these meetings when you were at the, when you had the experience at UFCPI, but every Monday and every Friday we met and we talked about who did their testing, what we could do cross analysis and, and, and what's the concern that goes across. So I think meeting frequently as a high performance team is very important. Um, so as far as the content and what I'm relaying, it's, it's anything that I think is important, um, to share. I mean, I don't necessarily need to tell you, Christina, that he's going to do through four sets of three on the back squat, but I, I, I need to tell you that his energy is down and that he's been maybe complaining about how much, how little he gets to eat or, or he's been complaining about his weight every day. So I, I can give you those insights as long as we have an honest relationship with the athlete too. I can give you those insights so that you can act on that or, or we can have a better scope of practice between the two of us. I know Austin has his athletes sign a, a disclaimer or a, is it a HIPAA form? Yeah. Right? Yeah. A HIPAA form. Basically every, everybody, not, not just athletes, every patient that comes through my clinic, they have to sign a form and they don't, I guess they don't have to, but they can't work with me unless they sign the form because I want to be able to contact and talk to everybody else in their chain. So they have, they sign a form that I'm able to talk to coaches. And there's even a step further where they can list their coaches, their names, numbers, emails, 
Um, and then I will contact them within the day if I am not already working with them. Right. And so I think that that chronic communication is super important, but just also the acute where, you know, an athlete like uh, our case study, Casey is having shin splints from running and doing his, his, you know, fat burn cardio or his extra 20 minutes or whatever. Like maybe I shouldn't let him run. Maybe I should put him on a spin bike. Like, duh. So it's like, if Austin can tell me that, I think that's a, a huge piece of like acute information that Austin can shoot as a quick text. It's maybe like, Hey, I did healthcare. He's on his way to strength conditioning, maybe spin bike today instead of run or, mm-hmm. um, real life scenario that happened at the PI is this athlete. There was either a miscommunication between the nutrition and the strength and conditioning. It's like, all right, Wednesday's a high intensity morning. And the athlete walks in and says, I haven't had any carbs. Uh, I'm coming in to this workout fasted. So it's like, I can, you know, if again, if I have a close relationship, I'm c- close proximity, I can text Christina and say, athlete hasn't had carbs. we got a high intensity workout. What can we get in right away? Or, uh, or maybe that's on me to pivot the workout, but there's that acute as well as like a chronic communication that should always go on. Right. And I think within this setup, we're, we're missing a skill coach, right? We need, we need a head coach of the camper. Um, I know Austin's frowning cause he's, he's a wrestling coach, but we need that piece of the puzzle as well, because then, then we have all our bases covered because I can talk about movement, um, and performance with the skill coach. I can talk about healthcare and movement and efficiency with Austin. I can talk about fueling and efficiency with you, Christina, and then everybody can kind of relay the same type of information around the circle. So that's a, that's a giant answer to. No, I like that. I think it's, I think it's also super important. I remember when I first got into more of the sport performance nutrition, um, I just was so curious about that interdisciplinary, um, communication as to what what information would benefit me as well as what information can I give you that would help and I think to kind Mm -hmm. of expand off of that in regards to nutrition helping out with strength and conditioning not only is it like hey um uh what's his name Casey oh gosh never forget their sorry. Um, but like, Hey, Casey is a frequent, like no breakfast eater. Can you help me out and ask him every session? Hey, did you have breakfast? You Mm -hmm. know, Casey is, um, chugging his water when he doesn't need to. Can you make sure that he, that he cools it? Um, Mm -hmm. cause I think especially for nutrition, we tend to be more behind the scenes. Um, and we see them, you know, we're not like eat your breakfast and where you don't go to lunch and we're like, all right, let's eat lunch. Like, it's not like that. It's, it's like, a lot of homework and, and a lot of uh, independence. And so sometimes I find myself relying on strength conditioning because you pretty much see them every day. Um, yep. And being that that voice for nutrition, because I'm going to just make the generalization that most strength coaches want their athletes to do well um, and not, you know, take long rest periods or feel sick or anything right. like that during the workout. Um, <clears throat> so that is something that I would probably communicate with you. And yep. then, like in return, like from strength and conditioning, I would probably want some information in regards to like, how are they feeling? Um, are they saying that they've been sore from Monday's workout, let's say, because that could yeah. be a sign of underfeeling. Um, you know, more so of like the day to day, how is the athlete doing? Um, what are they saying? Are they I feel like strength and conditioning can also be like a therapist job. And this is just from speculation. You could probably tell me more, but I think once you're just kind of on the floor, the mouths just kind of run. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you get a lot of that too. And 
Yeah. Um, I, I, Austin doesn't have to talk. We can skip past him. Oh, <laughs> I was going to relate nutrition to healthcare because I think that would be a really, uh, I feel like nutrition and strength conditioning definitely, at least from my understanding, have a more like understandable relationship. But I feel like nutrition and healthcare, like even what you're saying about like the stiffness aspect, my initial mm -hmm. thought is, are they hydrated? Right. And so I don't know when you do your like, when you like touch the patient, like, can you tell if their muscles are dry or if they feel dehydrated? Like, still, I, I, if if you're better than me, I guess maybe, but I don't think you can. <laughs> I mean, all I feel is tent. Like what I tell people when I'm palpating, when I'm doing, when I do a like hands-on assessment, I'm like, hey, does it feel like a block of cheese or does it feel like a brick of wood? I want joints to feel like a block of cheese. If they feel like a brick of wood, guess what? We need to do targeted mobility. We need to adjust that area, and then I can take it a step further. If I'm feeling muscles, is there a give to the muscle? If there's not a give to the muscle, then, hey, that's a hypertonic area. And if it's painful, that's a different grade of hypertonic muscle or painful and tight muscle. Um, and then from there, but I, I can't really feel mm -hmm. hydration. Sure. I would but say. like, even, even from that, my thought would like, whenever you say those words, I'm like, are they hydrated? Are they hydrated? Are yeah. they hydrated? Yeah. And yeah. so even in that, like, if that was, let's say reoccurring, or if someone, um, you know, was on your table and was like, so I heard about collagen supplements, like, should I be doing that for my joint? <laughs> I just had somebody ask me that. <laughs> One of my runners just asked real. me about collagen protein. It's real. <laughs> right. Um, and so like, that, you know, like that's how that kind of relationship would work. So I think it's important to, and if you can expand, if you have any other ideas, Austin, um, but I think it's, it's important to kind of have that like continuous circular dialogue. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And so when I talk, when I think about talking with nutrition, really what I need from nutrition is I, I need to know what, what their diet from a healthcare side, what's their diet looking like. That's normally in my intake form, but they don't go as far in depth with me as they're going to with you. Right. Um, and then, and in, in, in a dietitian's honest opinion, is that good? Is that bad? What they need to do. So kind of what the plan is, because I, as far as on the healthcare side of things, and I may be different than others, but that's where I will defer to authority a thousand percent. I just need to know what the plan is because I need to know, Hey, this could be factoring in like, are, are they not hydrated? Cause they're probably going to tell you that more than they tell me that. So are, if they're hydrated or not hydrated, depending upon the certain circumstances that could be a, actually into their treatment protocol. That could, that would be in something I would write up as homework is like, Hey, that's, that's, that's on the whiteboard before they leave. They need to drink more water because just another, like just another reminder from me, kind of like you're talking about with Alex where, Hey, if I write it down, you take a picture of it, you're more likely to do it. Um, is uh, from the healthcare side, what I just need to get across, what I try to tell as many people as possible is, and this is for nutrition and uh, for sport performance and for skill coach actually is I, I just give them, Hey, this is the areas that are of previous complaint. So these are potentially at a higher injury risk because they have a history of injury and a recurring history. Mm -hmm. um, I tell them any sort of mobility deficits that I saw and are they structural? So they come into me with an x-ray that legitimately shows that there's a straightening of the curve, not some shady chiropractor that's fucking marking different vertebra when they're doing the movements. Hey, your hips, uh, your hips are uneven. Your legs are different. Right? <laughs> oh, it's a pain. It's the pain in the ass. <laughs> So, buy my but, supplements sorry yeah exactly yeah exactly isogenics <laughs> yep yep Nugenics but, with frank thomas oh, <laughs> what was the other one herbalife that's the one that got sued oh my god don't <laughs> not that rabbit hole today <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, You're saying it has to go to bed in the next three hours. So stop. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> Uh, but so get, getting across my, my mobility deficits, structural deficits, um, or, and, and we've talked about in the podcast before, but side to side issues. Yeah. So if there's an issue from side to side, and we can see that on the BIA that you're talking about, or we can see that on a mobility movement or a mobility assessment we're talking about, or whatever it may be, uh, I need to convey that to the skill and the strength coach, I guess, not as much a dietitian, but in, to the team as a whole, I, I don't shake your head. <laughs> I'd be like, cool, great. Pass yeah, it to exactly. Alex. Like it would just like keep going, not well, my direction. Exactly what you, you just <laughs> said though. Like if, if we have a previous injury, like let's say we had an ACL reconstruction and there's a huge mass differential from right leg to left leg. Like yep. I think everybody has a piece of that pie, right? 100%. Like, like I know what I'm training. Austin knows how he's re- rehabilitating slash training. Christina knows how she's programming uh calorie intake to add mass, like mm-hmm. out, out of the context of, our hypothetical Casey, it's like, if there's an ACL reconstruction or there's a traumatic injury, like that's again, bringing the whole team in. Absolutely. But to, to my own, to like kind of shit on my own profession, I -hmm. can't make your left leg grow bigger than your right leg. You can't target nutrition in that regards, but it's about the whole system and supporting the whole thing. Just like how you can't target yourself to have abs. I can't be like left. (laughs) Oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're right. I can't just keep injecting the left quad. I yeah. can make muscle use my in promo code. Area, but yeah. <laughs> but one one thing that uh, that I, I'm happy Fight Ready does is they do we well something I always if I I have a coach I'd rather not call them I always ask I offer to meet in person. Yeah, that's that's my thing. Whether it be a, talking to a coach, another healthcare uh, dietitian, if I'm in, if I'm close to you, I'd much rather go grab a beer than call you on the phone. That means more, and the athlete will care. Yeah. Uh, but and then something that fight ready does really well is we literally have for most at like the athletes that come in um, and they, they ask for meetings. We do meetings, skill coach me, which is most or uh, another Cairo that's in town, Dan, we sit in as the healthcare, we have our strength coach, whoever their strength coaches is, is there. Um, and then we have Charles, if they're a UFC athlete, we have Charles or Clint on this call, on a call. And we sit there, we do meetings at least once a week and just talk about like weekly updates. And that's something that I would, like more teams to do. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't understand why it it doesn't make sense to have a me, us three, a skill coach in a WhatsApp and the athlete in a WhatsApp and having a group text message that everybody's on the same exact page for every single thing. And it's just have being able to be like, Hey, like, I guess WhatsApp isn't professional, but that's going to benefit the athletes. Who the fuck cares? Right. Like it doesn't have to be like an email thread. It doesn't have to be uh, like, I have to talk to one person at a time, text message, group texts work just fine. But as soon as it becomes like professional setting, less people do it. And it doesn't make a whole, it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. Right. It's thinking from the top down versus from the athlete's perspective. Uh, right. Like at the end of the day, it's all, it's all about the athlete. It's all about, right. Hey, is this person going to succeed and accomplish their goals? Everybody else is just a small piece of the puzzle trying to be like their version of Yoda. Oh yeah. And that's the principle of high performance, right? Is that the athlete's performance and health comes first. Right. And that's, that's how we serve and how we act as support personnel. Um, but something I think that, I think, I think that I think with say it one more time, Alex, <laughs> say, I think one more Do time. Think. Does he think, I do think we think he lot. thinks Austin? Do we know? Oh. <laughs> I see what um, you did there. <laughs> I think therefore I know. But, <laughs> To smooth out a lot of the, this communication and before we get into 
um, like specific miscommunications that we could have is, and I think we glazed over it briefly in the beginning and we all would have done it just again, we weren't in this specific setting is we get a, an overarching schedule of the, this athlete's training regimen. Like uh, when is their skill practice? When is their sports uh, nutrition consults? When is their strength and conditioning? And we try and lay out the most optimal schedule going forward. That way Austin knows what type of fueling the athlete has when they're, they're coming in. I know what, how to organize my days or my stressors, depending on when they have sparring, depending on when they have, you know, the specific calories for a specific day. Um, going over that as a, just a camp preparation meeting or however you want to call that is, is immensely important because then you get the skill coach on the same page as well. And they understand it's a whole picture going on around this athlete. It's not just, they come to practice every day and I need to kill them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Uh, cool. <laughs> cool. Hey guys, I think I, that's what I, that's what I think. That's that's my thoughts. Oh my god! No, I totally agree. Where it's like we can all be in our own little bubbles and be the experts, air quotes, yeah. at whatever we do, and then get frustrated if something doesn't happen a certain way. It's like you don't understand the whole story. And yeah. to a certain point, yes, the athlete should take some responsibility, but also as practitioners, can you put your own ego aside and be like, let's fucking talk like normal human mm -hmm. beings. Like yeah. let's take the time. I know a lot of practitioners like, Oh, like we don't have the, the time that works for, you know, everyone. I'm like, well then just find a time where it works for two out of the five and then three out of the five. And then just one liaison, talk to each other. Um, like I think setting aside time in your schedule out of your, let's say 40 hour work week to have that communication um, can really set some things apart. I have like an addendum, which I think would apply to both of you both um, like a, something that just came in. Ooh, flash okay. news report, please. Um, oh my God. I just got a notification that my internet connection is unstable and I relate so hard. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Okay. No, I think we're good. Anyway, so um, let's say um, Casey got a DEXA and his um, muscle mass on the right side of his body is way higher than on the left side. Is that necessarily something that you address and that you fix? Is it something that given the nature of his sport, it could actually help his performance in regards to striking? Like, what is your thought process that goes through that? Uh, so mine immediately I go to is, is the right side. So the right side has more mass or less mass. Sure. Yeah, more right. Yeah, All right. Yeah, sure. All right. Right. Right side has more mass. Left side has less mass is the side with less mass. Is it the side of injury risk? Yes or no. Yeah. So I look at that. It is the muscular growth is the hypertrophy of, of the right side compared to the left side. The left side gets injured at a higher rate. So I see, I look at that and is that a problem? And then from there, I in camp, that's not anything that I'm going to fix. I'm going to try to mitigate the symptoms that he feels out of camp. We can work on that to the cows. Come. Yeah. But as soon as it becomes, I, they have, they have a name, they have a face that they want to punch. Then that's when I say, Hey, we're mitigating symptoms. We're trying to fix stuff if it's small, but we're mitigating stuff. And then we fix it on the back. Right. And I think, I mean, the timing thing is entirely accurate. Like, is that, is that going to be our major concern? You know, like this athlete is, has, has the structural kyphosis and, and maybe a limited mobility. Does that mean I orient my whole fight camp and strength and conditioning around increasing the mobility? Uh, no. Or like if there's an imbalance, like 
Austin kind of told the risk side of it. So like, I'll think about the performance side, like, is that a specific performance advantage, right? Like there's a reason his body adapted that way. Does that, you know, increase in size or increase in, in, um, muscle mass, does that serve some type of purpose for the way that he fights, you know? So, and, and by trying to eliminate that deficit or by trying to train it, am I taking away that performance advantage? I think that's, that's a huge consideration too, because, um, you can get all the grappling jujitsu guys that you want in strength and conditioning and their alactic power is shit, but it's like by focusing all of my efforts on that, at what cost am I causing to their lactic buffering threshold? Like, uh, and we're not training that anymore. Like, so it's, it's a, a, a toss up of priorities when you're in camp for sure. It's like a, mitigating risks, exactly what Austin said, but also trying to account for that. And is that part of our tactical type of performance advantage but pivoting because you said something you you brought up miscommunications have either one of you have have any miscommunications when you've working with with skill strength healthcare dietetics whatever it may be uh or uh, i'm open to the floor what are some miscommunications that you could foresee happening in a situation like this um i can foresee you austin seeing something on a a screen or an assessment that you do and then relaying possibly relaying the the deficit in a very i don't know scientific or anatomical way yeah. and then me as a strength coach don't know what to do with that right so maybe you you tell me what the what of the problem but you're not telling me the how to address the problem and like and you can assume based on who you know and their their capability level on what to share but maybe there's a a uh miscommunication a lack in communication of you tell me the problem but it's like okay what do i do with that i think that that could happen yeah. For sure. And, but how, how would you go about mitigate it? Who's, who should go like who backs down first, which person fixes that? Is that it's not I, a fight? Coming, you yeah, guys. Yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, I don't give a shit. No, I know. But I, somebody has to take the first step, right? Is that, <laughs> on, is that something, <laughs> is, is that something that a, a strength coach, if, if say they don't, if I'm talking in douchebag doctor, whatever, mm-hmm. like every fucking doctor ever, and saying stupid shit and then you don't understand is that on me not i need to say different things or is that on you being able to speak up again who who cares who it's on like regardless Uh, this this is a hypothetical it's like i'm talking like hey there's a strength coach listening i know but but i'm I'm telling you that you're asking the wrong question it doesn't matter if the doctor needs to speak differently or if i need to up my uh linguistics game it's I need to text back and say, okay, what do I do about that? Or I need to address and say, you know, the information that you're giving me is great, but I I frequently find myself not knowing where to go or not knowing to mobilize or stabilize. Like if you could please give me some more instruction, like that's what needs to happen. It's not who's right or who's wrong or who needs to adapt. It's like, we need to set the egos aside, understand that the athlete is the primary person and say, I don't understand that because you you're going to tell me something about nerve flossing and I've heard nerve flossing before I've done nerve flossing. I don't know the mechanisms of nerve flossing, right? And, and because that's not in my scope, right? So if you tell me do a nerve glider on his, um, I don't know, shoulder cervical area, it's like, send me the fucking video. I don't know what that means, Right. Right. So. No, but that, that's kind of what I was getting at is like, it was more rhetorical, I guess is what I was going for in the first place. But like, I keep, I, it, what I see is over and over and over again, that egos are the thing that's at, it's at fault in yeah. this situation, the miscommunication. It's like, Oh, I thought I explained it, which I have in the past. This exact situations. Ha- it's happened to me 
where I thought I explained it really well. And then the other person didn't ask and it was to the detriment of my athlete. Yeah. And it's one of those things like it's if the egos were aside, if I'm like, oh shit, I should have explained this better then I could have fixed that on my end. And there can't be that middle ground where both people are too afraid to speak up because they thought they were right. Yeah. Or something, especially like that with the ego, something that's happened to me personally um, is I've worked with strength coaches that are critical of the dietetic plan their athletes on. And one, you as a strength coach do not know the ins and outs <laughs> and most the specifics of the dietetic plan. Two, have you made the effort to talk to the dietitian about what the plan is or say what the symptoms that you perceive are or had that heart to heart communication of like, I don't know if this is the best for the athlete, but then you get schooled, right? So it, it's all about putting the ego aside and talking to Christina about why she specifically has this plan going forward. Yeah, I think a lot of strength coaches, honestly, traditionally have been in the situation where they had to do the nutrition because there were no dietitians were in the hospital, we were doing yeah. two feeds, you know. So honestly, it's not a blank. Like I don't, I'm not like, ah, screw the ah, screw the strength coaches, you know, I'm not like that. It's I feel yeah. for the more traditional guys who have to tackle on, you know, oh, I don't know, I, I take this protein powder. So why don't you take it? It's like, like, bro, it's laced with steroids. Like, of course you're going to take it and you look super huge, right? Like no shit. Um, and I feel like it's something that I'm not, I think lately in my career, I just have been trying to play the blame game less. I think that's a really easy game to play, but rather like they're scared or they don't know what to do. And so they're going to, I mean, what strength coach isn't going to put up like a, I know everything I'm talking about. Right. Right. Alex. Right, right, man, that's, that's <laughs> how I live my life. Fair. Right. Yeah, right. You described uh, me. Yeah, exactly. Just no, I'm just kidding. Um, but like, for me as a dietitian, it's also on me to not be in the office all day. Like I try my best to be on the be on the strength floor. I'm not walking around. I'm not coaching by any means, but I'm there as a yeah. face. So new athletes can say who who's who is that girl? Or what is she doing? Or if they hear overhear conversations, because everyone overhears conversations. Um, you know, oh, we have a dietitian like just to kind of spark that interest. And that falls on our field as well, too, for us to be out there and outgoing and for people to actually want to talk to us. I think a lot of people get scared when they think of nutrition and they think, ah, oh, shit, she's going to take my Doritos away. Like, fuck no, Cool Ranch Doritos all the way. Like, let's make that work, you know, um, right. and, and being approachable. Um, and I think that there's a certain personality for that, that honestly, it's not for everyone. Don't get me wrong. But if you're in this field, if, you want to be in this field, fake it till you make it. Um, but I think as a, as a, you know, a newer, younger dietitian, it's, I would like to say that it gives me an advantage to constantly have that student uh, mindset where you're always learning. I don't know shit about fuck. You guys know that meme? I don't yes. know. Shit about yes. Fuck. yes. Um, Please. But like, like, like to constantly ask questions and I think it can be easy to be shy or maybe mm -hmm feel like you have to know everything. So you don't want to ask questions. But like earlier today, when I was like, what are stingers? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like I felt comfortable enough to ask that question. And you should most people enjoy Very talking cool. about what they're passionate about. You don't go into sports for the money, I'll be honest, right. And so these are people yes. who just really love what they do. And so yeah. like minded, passionate people. And so 
like you said, I'd rather sit down for a beer and we could talk for two hours about what did you call this? Gliders. What was the other one that you called? Sliders, them? gliders, tensioners. Yeah. yeah. And then there was another word there. Openers. There was another one. I forget. But like we could talk all day about that and that's work <laughs> for you, but that's also really fun. And so you're around like minded people who I could talk. I could talk your guys' ears off about nutrition and I would, but. Please. Uh, please do. Yeah, uh, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I no, need but, that. But we need to understand that this is a very, uh, not to get like super, you know, weird, but like it's a very supportive and a very like nurturing field. And we want to see growth and development in especially sport performance since it is kind of a newer field. Originally, it was yeah. just coaching and that's it um, and developing it. And so, I, from my experience thus far, everyone I've talked to has been. Um, very open to professional growth. So I think as a practitioner, you need, to, you need to think to yourself, don't be scared to ask questions. It's okay to want to learn more because they probably want to talk about it. I, I'm going to take a leap and say that you haven't worked in collegiate football. No, God, no. <laughs> Please don't make me work in football. I will work with a football athlete, but just away from their Oh God! Yeah, am no, I swearing no. here? Did I already swear? I don't know. I don't know. I say fuck okay. at least fifteen times. But yeah, uh, that's <laughs> why if you listen to the promos on Instagram, it's never Austin because he can't say <laughs> a sixty-second rant without cursing. Um, but yeah, I I could not work with collegiate football. It's just not my passion. Yeah, and again, I've only but mad had respect a, to those who do. Right, I've only had a what a three four month experience with it, but that, that um, I don't know that ego toxicity runs rampant. Um, yeah. And even like, like Alex, you know, Ben Morris, right? Yep. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Hopefully he's listening. Yeah. What's up? Hopefully he's, I'm going to, I'm going to make him listen to this. Um, yes. No, but ben, hi, ben shout out. Hi, Ben. And we don't shout you out until hey. an hour and 30 minutes in. So <laughs> yeah. So you have to, when is it going to happen? We don't know. Um, take time out of your very uh, relaxed day, right. To listen to this. Um, uh, yeah. No, but he's been so gracious to me, um, especially when I was a student to like, be that like strength coach, almost mentor, um, mm -hmm. and be the one so open to answer my questions and, and especially about college football too. And just like the reality of it is like, yeah. there's no funding. No one really wants to listen to you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah. it's, it's a great like collaborative relationship. Yeah, no, thanks and, and Ben. Yeah. There are good ones out there for sure. There are good <laughs> ones out there, but, um, but I, I kind of want to tool it back and, and talk a little nerd out on my end on the sociology of kind of coaching and how that developed, because you talked about like the strength and conditioning coach and the, the coach that has to know everything, right? Because that's how you need your athletes to perceive you. If they're going to march to your drum and, and go to your beat, it's, you have to be the more knowledge of a person. You have to be the, the default authority. So I like what you say about playing the game, blame game less, and then being more open about things that you don't know as a coach, but also being more open with your athletes about how you're constructing your practices, because within that, having to know everything, it, it creates a very one-sided relationship. And, and I don't think that's as healthy as it could be for the athlete and the coach, right? Or the colleague, the coach to coach or coach to dietitian dichotomy or relationship, Um but so much of strength and conditioning, just like you said, came out of a place where I need to be a jack of all trades, right? I am a division two strength coach. I have 16 teams, no dietitian to support me and three ATs, right? So it's like, I'm doing as much as I can and I want the best for these athletes, but then you develop an ego because they're my athletes and I want to do the best for them. And I'm very defensive about a dietitian coming in and, and, and saying something contrary to what I do, where 
if I am more open about that, I can have an honest communication with the athletes and say, they know more than I do, or their approaches are different. Doesn't mean they're worse or better. Right. So I, I think the humility factor is huge on a strength and conditioning level side, because as much as we are, that person that needs to know everything. We're the person that gets a lot of contact with the athlete, just like you were talking to earlier, where we create a big rapport with the athlete, which is why they're going to listen to a strength and conditioning coach about nutrition, which is why they're going to listen to them about the supplements. But that reinforces the message that we need to give them good information, whether it's our personal best or referring out and getting advice from somebody that is an expert. So end of soapbox, strength and conditioning coaches just need to be better about knowing their scope and better about putting the athlete first and putting their ego on the side. Well, and that's not, so that's not just strength conditioning though. That's like, and this is what I wanted to segment segue to right now is like, how do, how do you guys talk to skill coaches? Cause skill coaches, that's the def, that's the definition of a head coach is that yeah. they feel like they need to be the person that controls everything. They need to be the person that is in charge of that the athletes workload, even if they don't know a whole bunch about it, they need to be in charge. They need to give the advice on the, on the nutrition side, the strength conditioning side, but it's a hard barrier to jump over until you get that, that coaches trust and to talk to them. So like Christina started up, like, how do you talk to skill coaches? I think something that is really important just in the overall mindset is target your coach. So target your strength or your, I'm sorry, your skills coach. So instead of thinking I'm the dietitian, this is what I do. This is what my assessment did. This is what I found out about this athlete, blah, 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 blah. Here's this information. Go ahead and use it. It's like, are you ex- is is it's oh my god I'm sounding like an information an, an infomercial but it's like is Casey <laughs> experiencing low energy is Casey not as fast as you would like him to be is Casey taking longer you know water breaks than you would like if so here's all the information that I found out about Casey and you know here's how I'm helping and all these other things so being able to kind of target where their almost their weaknesses are and their priorities and tailor your message around them nutrition is the same across the board for everyone. It's like eat a vegetable, eat some carbs, drink some water. That's pretty much it, right? And so, but the way that you package that is going to be so different. So there's almost like a sales or like a marketing um, component to it. Um, So, you know, instead of saying, I do this, I do that, I'm the dietitian, I'm the expert. I try and say, this is how I helped. It's implied that I'm the expert and you'll see through all of the education I'm about to give you that I am. But for you, what you probably are experiencing this, I've had years of having to handle this myself and now this bubbly girl is, is telling me what I need to do. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, being able to to speak to the coach versus just speaking for yourself. I think that's huge. And that's honestly something that a lot of dietitians struggle with is we're dietitians like rah, rah, but fuck, there's so many nutritionists out there who do a way better job at selling and communicating than you do and they make it further and so why don't you take those same skills apply it to your communication to these skill coaches and and kind of win them over in that regard yeah and that's applicable across fields like again Mm -hmm. personal trainers and online certificate holding uh strength coaches that are leaps and bounds ahead of the guy that has the most effective program so um but yeah and and talking to your point austin about it's a different communication style just like we talked about this episode is not necessarily geared towards communicating to our athlete. Like if Casey, our hypothetical guy, listened to this podcast, like he's probably not going to get a whole lot out of it. Maybe he'll pay more attention because it's about him, but all the information (laughs) may or may not go over his head or he doesn't want to hear it. So it's another 
category of communication when you're talking with a head coach, right? They're obviously good at their job. They've done it for X amount of years or whatever. So they have a recipe. And so I, as a 26 year old strength coach, am not going to come in and then demand that they listen to me. Right. And I've done that before where I most honestly had an ego issue where I came in and and thought I was going to direct the player load. Right. It's like, no, I practice scheduling is my thing. Like go a step off, stay in the weight room. Right. So it's that relationship that you build, the trust that you build. And I mean, again, so you said you have to give and take, right? So maybe I don't like specifically how high the player load is the day before the fight or the week before the fight more realistically, but I can't come in and say, Max Holloway doesn't spar. So we shouldn't be sparring at all. You know, like, (laughs) like what grounds do I have to stand on for that? So, um, it's creating and fostering the relationship and then gaining the mutual trust. And speaking to something that Christina said is like portraying your um, expertise without talking down or teaching somebody. Like, I feel like that's a hard um, barrier to find because like within exercise science, like, you know, or within dietetics or within chiropractic, you spend so much time becoming an expert in your discipline. And then you want to go out and communicate to this person that I'm an expert. Right. But you can't like, it's, again, it's a huge turnoff when I'm talking down to somebody like you don't know what a physiological capacity is. You don't know your athletes work capacity. You don't know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's as much as a turnoff as if I try and demand something else that's out of my scope. Like, even if I am an expert about it, if I'm an asshole about being an expert, they're the same, not going to listen. So nobody listens to assholes. There you go. Except for the 550 people to listen to these episodes. <laughs> Cause you gotta listen to me. <laughs> All right. That was good. That was a one good joke you've told on the last 50 episodes. <laughs> one single clap for Austin. Yes. Do you have any, do you have any um, answers to your own quest question, Austin? I always have answers to my own question. You're just waiting you, for me. You're to ask. The most, that's why, that's why I ask it. It's on here. So <laughs> no, um, I, I, I brought it up because honestly, that's something I've always struggled with myself. Like what Alex was just talking about where I go on these tangents and I, for whatever reason, whenever I teach people things, I think that they have the same, like everybody's done the exact same thing I've done. They have the same vocabulary as me. Or they have the and same passion as you. Like. Exactly. And like, and you, if you listen to the podcast or like you, both of you guys, you can tell like when I talk about things, I send to like zone out and I go into like a different zone. And I'm looking off because I'm like trying to think in my head of these different things. And then I look up and I'm like, oh, fuck, nobody cares about what I'm saying. Or I'm talking down to somebody or something like that. So that's something that I've been on the giving and the receiving end where there's been like medical doctors that thought that they knew more than me about the lumbar spine. And I told them to fuck off to their face because they tried to talk down to me or I'm talking down to a skill coach or strength coach, whatever it may be. And I don't realize like not trying not be trying to do it maliciously, but I'm, I'm doing saying all these different things. And I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm, I'm act. I, I dropped my master's degree like four different times. I sound like a prick. And so it's one of those things that I know I can't be the only one that this, that, that does this. So it's more like a PSA, like, Hey, like, that's great. You're an expert in everything in, in that thing that you do, but not everybody has the same passion and not everybody has the same vocabulary and, and that's okay. But the best communicators are typically the best in their field. Back to what you said, Christina, they're the people that make the biggest like gains in their field. They have the highest standing. And there's, there's no surprise that you, the best people in the world at what they do, they're fantastic communicators or communicators. And they're also fantastic at their job. As soon as you pair those two things together, those are the, those are going to be the people that lead the organizations. Those are going to be people that lead that 
that charge forward for your profession. Like you said, like diet and sports dietetics is fairly new. Like the people that are going to lead the charge forward in the next 20, 30 years are the people that can talk to the strength coaches and the skill coaches and the healthcare workers that know nothing about nutrition. <laughs> Eat a <laughs> vegetable, Austin. One, no, Christina. One. The peppers in your queso don't count. <laughs> but they're green. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the best communicators are going to be the people that get their message across. And that's going to be the people that make the biggest difference in your field and help yes. the most people. Yes. Agreed. I so, semi agree with that. I will say to play devil's advocate, I semi agree about the good communicators. I've seen plenty of higher ranked people in our field in nutrition who are not the best communicators who have given lectures and talks and I never try and pull out my phone whenever someone's talking, but it gets to the point where sometimes your you're too mistake. smart. I know. Sometimes you're too <laughs> smart that you kind of um, like you could be the smartest person in the room, but if you can't communicate it, then no one's going to know. Like it doesn't matter if you have a PhD and you've done re- like whatever. So I, I think there's a, a, a double edged sword to that as there is with everything. But I think, you know, especially. I tell my interns this where school, like in school, they want you to tell you everything that you know about the energy systems, grab cycle, you know, that's fine, everything like that. So you're, you're in this like environment where you just kind of have to spew out information. I remember writing like a three page paper. And she's like, No, it needs to be five. I'm like, I've written everything I needed to write. She's like, make it longer. I'm like, do you want to read a longer paper? Like, this makes no sense. to yeah. me, Right. <laughs> but like, it, that's education. That's that's academics yeah. is what they want. They want that yeah. intense detail. The real world needs 15 second TikToks or you're out of here. Like they don't yeah. want to listen to your message. Amen. And so I have this is a big issue where people come right out of college and they think I need to write research papers and cite my articles but like you think someone who gets concussions easily knows how to read a research paper and will click your link like I doubt it right and so there's this balance of like the smartness paired with the communication which is my soapbox that I will get off (laughs) no but I I 100% agree Christina it's like and I was fortunate enough to have um the professor who I'm writing my thesis with. Um, and now he's that way where we need to have that intense detail and, and the site, every resource type of thing. But like when I was in the middle of his classes, it was condense this argument into 500 words. Right. And that is much harder than bullshitting and expanding a three page paper to a five page paper. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it was practical. And I'm saying it was a good thing that, that he, made me specify and stay low to the word count. But exactly what you're saying with research and academics, like academia is its own world, where it's just got their own vernacular. It's got their own politics. It's got their own, you know, leading thoughts. And it's at a huge disconnect with the practitioners and with the, the actual people carrying out the quote unquote science of it. And that's, again, one of the major points of my thesis coming out in to be determined that I've been working on for a year and a half. Um, But I've done at this point, at least 75 revisions. So uh, no, but um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm doing my best, but that's, that's part of the the thing is especially about like weight cutting and we don't need to get into this, but it's like how much more disconnected can you get from the academic research to the practice? You know, there's not that much. So Alex's hold paper is going to be, I think, I think, I think, I think. (laughs) (laughs) 
try and take those out when I write. And then Al- Alex with the thinker face at the back. Just that's the picture <laughs> at the end. Instead of like signed Alex Friedman, it's just a picture of him thinking. It's going to be 74 pages of, you know, like those little flip books that you do when they make it into animation. <laughs> it's my filler word, okay? I try not to say um that much. So I say I think, which I know brings down the qualification of what I think, because that's what I think when I write it. I think. Oh my God. <laughs> Can we not pick on me anymore? <laughs> uh last thing before we sign off because it's getting long christina mm. i just want your opinion yes. so i got casey, it yes. oh, perfect so casey he is going into fight week a so beginning of the question what percentage were you saying that you want him at above his weight class on fight week was it five to eight was that um yeah somewhere around like five to eight ish it depends again i think the fighter would know casey would know more about himself first um but it, it really depends just on how much muscle mass he's carrying as well, too. Got you. And then Sorry. from from the dietetic side of everything, how involved are you or do you want to be in this situation? Like, are you calling the coaches every night? Are you talking to the athlete every night? Like, are you, Or are you pretty much hands off and you're like, hey, like, contact me as needed? No, it's it's very much so. Please contact me more. You cannot talk to me all during fight camp and think I don't need to do my nutrition during fight camp. And then um, turns to fight week and you're like, ah, shit. I need um, you. <laughs> I need you. Hey, girl, what's going on? I've ghosted you for like the last six weeks, but here we are. Um, yeah. No, but it definitely ramps up in communication. Um, it depends. Like, I don't currently travel with anyone to their you know fight location. If it was brought up, I would. I'm going to say yes, girl. Like, I'll be like, sure. And then I'll think of the consequences later. But um, same. The best. <laughs> but if I'm not invited, um, then I will pretty much be in in contact with whoever the coach is there or whoever I know that's there. That's kind of on their team, whether that be yeah. like the partner or the coach or friend or whoever, you know, is brought along with them. And I basically, this is when we talk about that group communication, we'll screenshot what is exactly going to happen during fight week. They need this many ounces of chicken breast. They need this many ounces of white rice and blah, blah, blah. Um, And I will every single day be like, this is what they need. This is what they need. This is what they need. This is their hydration. And if it's like needs to be even more basic than that, I'm like, remove fiber, remove carbs. That's it next or like tomorrow. Then I'll be like, remove this, remove that. Um, So it'll be a very involved um, week for sure. Um, It's a lot of me checking my phone. So to anyone that knows me, I'm not being rude. Um, There's just a lot (laughs) going on from my little phone and me. Um, And especially as it comes closer to weigh-ins it's like what is your weight what is your weight how are you feeling are you hydrated do you feel like you're gonna fall every single time you get up like how is your how are you feeling is a really important question to ask um and then especially like the day before um are they able to kind of float off that weight or is that something that you would have to um take a a more aggressive approach to um so like sitting in a hot bath and things like that so it depends as it as it progresses or can they lose their weight through their water load and their cut easy great amazing um but there's definitely a lot more communication and a lot of it just tends to be through texting like videos photos and it's like call me if needed but for some reason a lot of people don't like to call like texting is just easier you don't like like to do anything uh, when you're cutting weight (laughs) Yeah, no, not the athlete. I think with the athlete, it's like, are you good? And it's like, yeah. And then with a coach, it's like, okay, let's, you know, you're going to handle all this. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then Alex, something that I want to get your opinion on. What, how, how far before the fight are you peaking people? 
what does a peak like a peak cycle look like or the end of your phase right and yeah cop out answer depends it depends what how much i know i'm gonna go into detail don't hate me yet um tell us what you think alex no. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I'm, I'm done <laughs> i like having um, you here thanks uh, depends the training age of the athlete like with casey it's his first you know snc camp or whatever i don't need to taper off all of the volume and peak everything right he's going to be more robust to a lot of those changes that come along with training so we can take away some volume for sure but we can keep um, a little bit more depending on how the cut's going depending on where the camp's at um, we can keep a little bit more volume or a little bit more training load going in. So he's young and he's young as well. So he can, he can be a little more robust to those changes versus if we have a finely tuned machine, uh, if I'm coaching a guy that's going into a championship fight, everything volume load, um, is going to be calculated from his last camp, how we felt, what we're doing, uh, where his strength levels at, what we're peaking for power. Um, in those sessions, like I said, I try and cut down to two times a week um, in the last three to four weeks of camp. Um, they can be a lot more explosive or energy system specific peaked for, right? So if I'm going into a fight with Casey and he's a striker, we might be peaking his power output or his power re- repeatability um, in those sessions. Um, strength doesn't get to be a huge factor if we're thinking about maintaining it because strength residual lasts about a month for most people. So, um, I don't need to put in like a lot of strength maintenance, maybe some strength maintenance for the specific areas of concern via healthcare. Um, but again, we're focusing on the specific demands of the sport. Does he have the the work capacity to push the pace in the third round? Does he have the, the technical setup and can, how can I best supplement that when I'm in the weight room, whether it's intervals, whether it's an energy suspension, energy system specific workout or is it an athletic quality that we really need we really need to have him have the most pop in his hand for this fight so it gets a lot more specific the volume comes down a little bit and then um uh, just like christina saying everything gets more and more detailed the higher profile it gets and the the more close to the fight we are um week of if you're traveling if you're doing the weight cut very minimal as far as strength and conditioning again when we get to a certain point, we've gotten you physically as far as you're going to go. So, um, yeah. would I, would ideally, would I like to do a workout, uh, week of yes, for strength and conditioning, but I think that's me being selfish in my ego. There's much more better places to prioritize your time than making sure that you're physically ready to go. Like, are you technically tactically ready to go? Are you on weight? Blah, blah, blah. So what kind yeah. of workout would you do? Would it be like a flowy, like a flowiness I mean, or would it be like really hard hitting? week of you're saying, um, depends where they are with the weight cut. So if they're dying from the weight cut, we might either do like a, a flowy, yeah, we might do like a flowy sweated out type of session where, um, we're focused on feeling good, sweating, um, and opening up range of motions or just staying in the groove of moving like an athlete. Um, it might be like, uh, and again, in pro- higher profile fights, you got a day and a half or day, day and a half between, um, way into fight. We could easily get a, a peaking workout in during that or a, an explosive repeat type of thing to hopefully, um, acutely like stimulate the nervous system, uh, to be biased towards certain things. So, um, potentiation is kind of the word there, but so, I mean, that would be phenomenal, but one, 
again, priorities, right? A lot of athletes are not going to prioritize their strength and conditioning to be one of the most important things to bring to fight week. Um, and then two, it, it's the, is this going to actually impact the fight? Um, like that acutely, right? I think it, it's going to be a lot more logical to think that the strategy and the pace that you set in the fight, which is skill work is going to be much more important to have a skill session the day before the fight. Right. So yep. uh, we used to do a lot of, of peaking, like um, overcoming isometrics, plyometric movements, jumping power things before like lacrosse games and before football games. I know a lot of football coaches actually have day of strength sessions, um, not to be stressful and strenuous, but to potentiate and prime, quote unquote prime uh, your athletes. But it's just, it's not there in the uh, MMA yet. Is that what peaking is? Yeah, the the whole kind of process I just outlined is peaking in a a very general and rough term where we take away the volume, keep the intensity high, and just get closer and closer to competitive events. Comes from uh, track and field, uh, like like Austin works with at Altus. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Not sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) No, employed. (laughs) Uh, There you go. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I think that's a lot. Yeah, we, we, I, I mean, I had a great time. I think it was phenomenal, but yeah, yeah. a lot. Next time we're bringing beers, it'll be yeah. a boozy, boozy you building the fire. You didn't have one? Yeah. Oh, I had well. water. Yeah, you like thought this dietitian. was coffee, huh? Mm. <laughs> Straight vodka. Suck it. Vodka. <laughs> you thought this was water? <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, well, Christina, thank you so much for coming back on. We appreciate it. Yeah. A whole bunch. Of course. Uh, my pleasure. If you listeners liked this round table, this is going to be the first of many, um, but we want to know what you guys have to say. So leave us some comments, leave us uh, any sort of com- communication, all of our communication and in- er, our Instagram, our email, all these different things are ways to get a hold of us are going to be in the show notes that Alex so beautifully writes every week. Um, like always like share, subscribe, talk to your friends so that we can become friends with your friends if you have because friends. we like if you have friends yes that's a big thing i'll be your <laughs> but, friend if you don't have a friend oh there you go just reach out to christina <laughs> yeah there you go that's a friend that's a friend yeah. on tap right there you didn't know what you're opening yourself up to oh, yeah. jesus i'm nervous he's <laughs> got friends you got friends coming oh god online friends oh no <laughs> <laughs> the best type of friends but as always, this is Building a Fighter, Dr. Austin Chin. Alex Friedman. Christina! <laughs> <laughs> and we are out. Out. <laughs>